From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to a special edition of HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political community. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a managing director here at HPS. And today I am joined by two of our partners, uh, both of whom have a long track record in Republican and Democratic politics, Michael Steele and Stacey Kerr. Our topic today is last night's debate between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. The plan here at HPS, at least for now, is to provide our listeners with a new episode after each of the three presidential debates and next week's vice presidential debate, offering our analysis of the debate itself and the impact it may or may not have on the general election. Steele, Stacy, thanks for joining us. This debate has been described as childish, which I think is unfair to children, shameless, a disgrace, a shit show, and my favorite from Jake Tapper, a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside of a train wreck. This was 90 minutes of chaos and included a very concerning moment from President Trump on white supremacist groups. Even after countless debates featuring Trump in 2016, I think all of this was was truly shocking to watch. And I wanna get into your reactions, the candidates' performances, the, the moderator's role, whether or not we'll actually do this again in a couple of weeks. But let's start with this. Did last night's debate matter? Does, does what we saw on stage and the debate itself swing votes either way? I actually think those are uh, two different questions. I would say the debates do matter. And I would say this debate did nothing to change the trajectory of this race. And yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I think I, I, disagree slightly in the sense that, look, there's a very, very small universe of voters left who are not locked into their position, whether they're voting, not voting, who they're voting for. Among that very small segment of voters, I do think there was some, there are some who have questioned whether the former vice president is in fact senile. And I think last night's debate in which he was not smooth, he was not polished, he was not uh, impressive, but he cleared the very, very low bar of is he mentally capable of being president of the United States? And I think there is a some finite number of voters for whom that is enough reassurance to pull the lever for him on November 3rd or mail in earlier. Yeah, Steele, you've been very critical of the president's campaign on, on that point, that they have, for whatever reason, set the bar for Biden just at the floor and made it very easy for him to exceed expectations what about Trump? I mean, I think coming out of the RNC, there was some expectation that he wouldn't moderate himself. That's not his style, but would try to address some of those voters that at least the experts say he's losing from 16 or do something that, that gets Biden off his game. And I don't think we saw that last night. No, I, I think he, he pulled out the Louisville slugger and tried to swing for the fences over and over and over again. Uh, but it was really more wiffle ball than, than, than MLB last night. You, the president was, was shameless. He was relentless. He was also very, very ineffective, I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree. That was, look, if you, if, if you believe this is a referendum election, it is. Mm -hmm. if, if you look at the, sort of status of the race today, 
states that Trump won in 16 are trending in the wrong direction. We're starting to see groups that Trump won in 16 start to break to Biden. And I'm thinking of two groups in particular that I've been watching, these Obama, Obama, Trump voters. So this group of voters who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump for, for three, over three years, they have not moved. And now we're starting just now in the last month, starting to see them break to Biden. I think the other group that's important to watch is um, women without a college degree. I mean, the president mm-hmm. is now, um, you know, that, that group is moving. I think the, he has all of the advantages of the presidency, incumbency. He's doing a daily news conference. He has the wind at his back. He has a third Supreme Court nominee. And it's very hard to see how that performance was reflective of that status of the race and would, would, would be an effective performance to change the trajectory for the president. Yeah, and I want your opinions on this. I I struggle to see how Trump changes from that performance. It is not uncommon in, in at least my experience to see an incumbent come into that first debate and be off his game. I think John Kerry won the first debate in 04. I think Mitt Romney won that first debate in 2012. The sort of Mondale trappings of incumbency. You know, Walter Mondale won the, the first debate in 1984. I mean, the, the great line we, we remember from the 84 debates, the line about Ronald Reagan saying he will not exploit for political gain his opponent's youth and inexperience. That line was necessary to open the second presidential debate because Reagan's closing in the first presidential debate left people convinced he had lost his marbles. Nice. And so, yeah, I think you're exactly, you know, there's a, there's a, Every iron law of American politics for the past five years has tended to acquire a giant orange asterisk. This is always true except Trump. And last night he proved that he was not an exception to the rule that incumbent presidents tend to have a terrible first debate. Yeah. Will he be again an exception to the rule for debate two and three? I feel like both Bush and Obama got their clock cleaned a little bit, went back into the prep room. Okay, team, got it. I need to be smarter on this and, and came back in those last two debates much stronger. I don't know who Trump listens to where he changes his style. for debate. Well, that was that was the, the Trump debate playbook last night. I mean, if you lay, you know, the, uh, leading up to last night, there was plenty of clips that were shown of, you know, the, the debates with Hillary Clinton in 16. And Trump's debate style is to cut off, to interject with small you know, small jabs. I mean, he did that again in an exaggerated fashion last night with with Vice President Biden. I mean, we are not teaching this old dog any new tricks in the next 35 days and in the next two debates. No, and I think this points to a larger problem that the president's campaign and, and he himself has is that he had a really clear argument against Hillary Clinton, that this mm-hmm. was a corrupt, corrupt establishment swamp creature who enriched herself, the emails and belonged in jail. And he doesn't have that narrative uh, against Joe Biden. And he sort of alternates between he's a Trojan horse for the radical left in the squad. Right. He's senile. And he spent 47 years in, in Washington and the problems just got worse. And any one of those is okay, but. But he's he got to pick one. He's got to pick one. <laughs> yes. He, he can't keep. He right. Can't I will keep tell you these, Democrats these, these somewhat contradictory arguments. Yes. Right. Right. As it's a Democrat, very confusing. 47 years makes me the most nervous, right? And Trump hit right. that a few times yesterday of 47 years, Joe, you've done nothing. And for 
people outside of the Beltway who just hate politics and Congress, I think that's appealing. But the three of us talked about this a little bit around the conventions. You know, you, you hear from the campaign about Sleepy Joe and Radical Joe. You hear about the crime bill put everyone in jail, but now he's going to let everyone out of jail and they're going to burn down right. the suburbs. Right. It's very confusing. And, right. You know, and you're right. We were talking about this before we started the show. In 16, there were three or four messages. Build a wall. Stop China. Hillary Clinton should be in jail. And I'm going to disrupt this whole thing. And he stuck to that. He, it was just religiously hammering that message. And we haven't seen that this year. Well, and, and that tends to be not, you know, I'm not going to agree with the content of, of Trump's particular messages, but that tends to be how successful presidential campaigns operate, right? If you yes. think about W in 2000, education reform, tax mm -hmm. cuts, soft bigotry. I mean, he had a, compassionate he had a mantra of, right. of three things that fit under the rubric of compassionate conservatism, and he was relentlessly on message about those things. And Trump was relentlessly on message in his own way about, you know, building the wall and Put her in, put her in jail, and he doesn't have anything like that right now. And yeah. I think yeah. part of that is, is the disadvantage of incumbency: the fact that he has a record. That record includes two hundred thousand dead Americans uh, from the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, and he just can't defend it. Other than casting his mind back six months ago to the golden economy we were enjoying in January, and right. perhaps enjoy again if the pandemic magically vanishes. Yeah, it's it it is interesting to. <laughs> you know, to, to think about what, what could be possible with a candidate who had any degree of discipline. And that's just not the case here, so. Yeah, right, we've talked a little bit about this, Stacey, um, and, and Steele, I've heard you make this point in other places, that January, or I guess it was February Super Bowl ad, you know, Trump's right. campaign sort of had a message on the economy and you might, and we saw a little bit of this at the RNC again, you might hate his style, you might hate his Twitter feed, but, He's done Maybe XYZ. it takes a Donald Trump to, it take, that was the line from the World Series ad. Maybe it takes right. a Donald Trump to, to fix Washington. Yeah, and he just can't, absent the economic success that we were enjoying at the beginning of this year, he just, there's no second part of that argument, right? Like there's the, you may not like Donald Trump, but, and you got to kind of trail it, off there. And it's really, I mean, it is Trump's election to lose. I, I mean, no offense to Biden, but no, I Demo to Democrats, yeah. right? Democrats, in record numbers, went to the polls during a very crowded primary and elected the most generic Democrat possible, right? So this is- in, If you open up a Webster's Dictionary, I think he is the picture under generic Democrat. <laughs> well, let's hope, Joseph, let's hope the future, let's hope the future the changes party. that, okay? Yeah. We can, he yeah, let, let's, let's hope we're, 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 we're changing that picture in the future, but for everybody's benefit, but, but you know, this is, this is, this is, and always has been Trump or it's Trump right. or. So if you look back at last night, it's his election to lose. He has all the advantages of the presidency. He cannot control himself. Biden had to do no more than stand up there, look remotely presidential against this guy who right or wrong, you like his policies or not. He, he, there's nothing presidential about him. And so that was the bar that, that Biden had to clear, and he did it. I think that's right. I think Biden's one goal was just show you can be a president for four years. And a we don't have to accomplish for... policies. We talked about this at the DNC. We don't have to accomplish policies. We don't need a laundry list. 
can you address COVID? Can you be president in a yeah. calm Yeah, way? and it's, 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 it's kind of like, I, I, in some ways, I don't, the argument isn't that Joe Biden has a plan to deal with COVID. It's that Joe Biden will bring in Ron Klain, and Ron Klain has a plan right. to deal with COVID. And we, we're, we can trust that the, we have experienced people who are making these decisions informed by science, and that's a good thing. And, you know, yeah, I, I don't think Biden had a very high bar at all. And Joe Biden, you know, I go back to preparing, I, I helped prepare Paul Ryan for his vice presidential right. debate in 2012. So I've been thinking about this a long time. Joe Biden simultaneously has this great place in American life where he's the most experienced presidential level debater probably ever, right? Has anyone else done three presidential runs and two VP debates? I, there's no one else I can think of who has that experience. Um, and at the same time, he's kind of, kooky Uncle Joe, you know, polishing his Trans Am in the White House driveway, and we don't expect that much from him at the same time. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's fair. It's a, it's a record and he's, you know, got that record, but it's never broken out into kind of that full leadership role, but he's got an opportunity here where I think a lot of Americans are looking for what's safe, what's reliable, what's going to be competent to get us through this mess and Joe Biden's that answer. Yeah, look, a loss for Trump is a win for Biden. I mean, that's just a debate loss for Trump is a win for, for that that was the that was the bar to 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 clear. And I think even in the in the chaos that was last night in the you know, the shit show, the dumpster fire, all the things that you mentioned at the top, Brian, all the things that oh people are turning off the channel, they're doing this, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. There's two choices. There's yeah, two choices. It's, so it's really- it's a, really one choice, right? I mean, I think that's what we're all driving at. Trump it's or not Trump. Trump, or not yeah. Trump. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it, Trump it, it, or it the other old, one. <laughs> it, yes. it felt kind of like watching grumpy old men and, you know, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon are fighting about things that no one else cares about, but that's, that's a win <laughs> for Biden in this environment. Right. 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 And I think, and that's, let's close on that point. I think that's a big change in four years. I think chaos and disruption and everything played to Trump's advantage in 16. And I think now to the last points you both just made, just sort of Biden staying there, staying level-headed, trying to stay calm is a win. Yeah. And I think last, last time around, you know, both candidates last time around had record high negatives and mm -hmm. the voters that disliked both candidates tended to vote for Trump. And I don't think that Biden has nearly the negatives that Secretary Clinton had. And I think that he's winning voters that dislike both candidates at this point. Yeah. And, and not every debate is going to, not every election, not every debate is going to be aimed at making the contrast or winning undecided voters. So, to, you know, to our earlier conversations about the, the content of it, it, it's, you're making a close here. You're making a close here. This is about voter turnout and getting your voters out to, to, to vote. And that the president just seems to be dwindling his, his number of, you know, his, his number of in his base not growing it. And that's a, that's a trouble. That's a great spot. point. You heard Trump. I mean, just, just being Trump a lot yesterday. There you go, Joe, you lost the left. You lost the left. I mean, he's it's, trying to. And, 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 and I, I think that's what he, I think line. that's what he has to do to hold on mm -hmm. to a part of his base. You're not growing your base. I mean, the, 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 the real sort of head scratcher in all of this is that there were a hundred paths to victory for Trump. Even right. despite COVID, 
I think there was a path to victory for Trump and he just cannot help himself. Let's pause there. Let's take a break. And um, when we come back, I want to get into a little bit of the process story that's bubbling up today of whether there should or will be uh, additional debates after last night's mess and where we go from here. Uh, You're listening to HPS Insights. Have you heard the news? HPS Insights is expanding into the HPS podcast channel, which offers our listeners access to all of Hamilton Place Strategies podcast shows in one convenient place. The HPS podcast channel is home to all of our new and past podcast episodes on your favorite podcast streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, and more. If you aren't yet subscribed to the HPS podcast channel, subscribe now to have the latest from HPS Insights and weekly HPS Macrocast episodes delivered straight to your podcast streaming service. To learn more about our podcasts and other original content, visit hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash insights. We're back on HPS Insights. We're trying to sort out what all went down in last night's debate and where we go from here. So Stacey Steele, I want to talk a little bit about the future of debates, both in the short term and maybe the long term. So a lot of people are asking this morning, was that the last debate of the the 2020 cycle? And I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, um, no, I, th- I, 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 I actually don't think that will be. I think we will have another debate. I do think that there's a, a serious question here for the Presidential Debate Commission, who has a, a um, you know, a, a bipartisan history and a role mm-hmm. in producing these debates. Remember, I think it's important for listeners to know that the, the, the presidential debates in a general election are different from the primary debates and who controls right. those and the network's role in those and all of those things. So it's really up to the presidential debate commission to make any tweaks that are necessary. And I, I mean, I think it is up for conversation about whether or not there's a way to force a candidate into abiding by the rules. Now, look, Rome is burning. Americans are dying. We are a country in crisis. I, I think it's a mistake to sit here and say, well, it's the rules. And you said that you were not going to play. You're going right. to play by the rules, Mr. President. And I mean, that's not the, that that's not. But that was a real I, I mean, I think that the Presidential Debate Commission has to preserve a bit of integrity to show what they might do to make that different in the next debate. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to offer possibly the worst or most unwelcome take of the day, which is that we will have the remainder of the debates and they will be worse. Yes, and they will. Um, yeah. Because I think okay. that, you know, I have two minds on 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 Chris Wallace in in the the interruption question. I I wonder whether if he had stopped the president the first time he began to speak over the vice president and just did kind of a zero tolerance from the start, we're going to stop the debate. We're going to see whether that might have worked. But on balance, I think that short of equipping him with a cattle prod, nothing was going to um, silence the president when the former vice president was speaking. And the reason I say it's going to get worse is that Wallace is the best uh, moderator that the president could ask for. He is a journalist, but he is a journalist of the center right. He asked questions about the former vice president's tax plan that were from a conservative point of view. he kept leading him that he will like the next question. That was And weird. look, we all do this for a living. There, there's, you know, he can complain about it, but there's a reason Wallace gets invited to the White House for sit-down interviews right. with the president. You don't let any journalist in there. That's, that's vetting and that's making sure it's going to be fair. So I, I agree. 
Um, and I, I'm taking nothing away from the future moderators, all of whom I, I like a great deal and are great journalists. This was this was probably, you know, the president's putting out, uh, t- team is putting out their graphics that, you know, we knew it was going to be two on one. We knew Wallace and Biden were going to gang up yes. on president, all of this. Mm-hmm. That's, that's loser talk. And it also, they got to bear in mind that this is the friendliest moderator they're going to have in the course of this process. Yeah, I, I actually think um, I actually think the Trump campaign does not have a lot of incentive to, to participate in another debate. They will, and the president will. But the, and the, the primary reason, I don't think Ch- Trump is going to change his stripes, and I don't think he's going to change his performance style. But if I'm the Trump campaign, I want Joe Biden up there to hopefully have a, a quote-unquote Biden, Biden gaffe or to have right. something happen that you can change people's minds. I think it's a very, very, very tall order. I think it's unlikely. I do think it changes a bit of the preparation for the vice president for the next debate. I think the vice president had a few key moments that were strong and solid. I thought he did a much better job of using the camera and looking into the camera, talking directly Mm -hmm. to voters a couple of times. He had a couple of great lines that were delivered. It is what it is because you are who you are. I think we're right. going to see that in an ad. I do think, so he had some, some positive moments. I think he still has to learn and work on not taking the debate, not taking the bait every time right. from the president and just right. staying solid. You know, there are a couple of moments where I think one in particular at the end where they asked him, will you, uh, will you commit to a peaceful transfer of power yeah. or whatever they, and they went to the, to Biden first. And he said, yes. And in my mind, I was like, stop, Stop. don't say anything else. This is Trump's question to answer. Don't say another word. And he he did. And I couldn't tell you what he said. Fine. But I think he's just got to stylistically really be careful about using some of those moments. And the more Trump talks, the worse it is for the president. So if I'm the Biden campaign, that's the preparation I'm using going into the next debate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that harks back to two of the things we've, you've talked about earlier, that this is a this is a referendum on Trump, not a choice. Biden is not good at this. He is not disciplined. I couldn't tell you what his campaign slogan is. I couldn't tell you what his economic message is. I couldn't tell you what his rationale, you know, if he if he got the question, why are you running for president? I know the Charlottesville heal the soul mm-hmm. of the nation answer, which he takes far too long to deliver. Um, but this is this is not no one's going to change Biden either. Biden is right. a 77 year old man who spent nearly 50 years in public office. He is not, he's not changing. And so the rambly doddering Joe Biden that we see is the rambling doddering Joe Biden that we're going to see in the next two debates and absent some terrible misstep. That's probably good enough. Yeah. And there's a, there's a tough balance here, right? Where I think Biden's being advised probably rightly so not to get in the mud with Trump, not to get down there. I mean, even his clown comment, it's the rules of journalism, right, Steele? You know, every headline I read today, Trump brings the chaos to debate, Biden calls him clown, right? It's, it's in there, but he can't be weak. He can't let no. the yes. attacks on Hunter go and just sort of sit there and nod, like he's got to show yeah. he's a little bit of a fighter because that's both what his base wants. His base wants a fight. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about something that Philippe Reigns, who helped prepare Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. for the 2016 debate, said, uh, I think earlier this week, said that Trump is simultaneously not a very good debater, but very hard to debate against. Yes. Yes. 
He, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't make cogent points. He doesn't have soaring rhetoric. He doesn't have great arguments or pithy quotes, but he just has this relentless, shameless steamroller of often gibberish. Uh, and it's that's just very an annoying hard to deal drunk with. guy at a bar arguing with you. Right? It's just, you just <laughs> Ryan, want to walk away. I want to talk about another element, which I think you're going to see in the news in the coming days, and we're not, we're not seeing much of it coming out of it. But the other piece of two more debates and the vice presidential debate and what we're going to see over the next 35 days that I think is really, really important is that the, the president has put Republicans running for office in an extremely difficult position. And so if the debates don't change voters' minds in the presidential, they do provide a round of news stories where Republicans have to go answer for yeah. something the, the yeah. president said or something yeah. else. And this is a very hard place for Republicans running for office to be in. And I think that's the other piece that that these campaigns can use strategically that may not be obvious to just an average voter watching, but what, do, what is this doing to the down ballot races? And I think, you know, on the Republican side, I think there's a, there, there's, there's big trouble coming in the potentially losing both the white house and the Senate. Yeah. Well, I, I, normally I, I would I, say that's, um, you know, some of that's DC noise, right. But now we're on the national stage. This isn't just a comment in the, you know, driveway. So I think there's a point where Trump is so out there, kind of like he did with his COVID press conferences, that local news and others are capturing this and then want that take from the local senator or the local congressman. Yeah, I mean, I, I say this as someone who's personally very, very fond, uh, particularly of Tom Tillis and Cory Gardner, who are in tough Senate races on the Republican side, that, you know, Charlie Cook had a good column yesterday about how all of the tight Senate races tend to break the same way in mm -hmm. these in these years, particularly when you have kind of a nationalized yeah. um, election. And right now, there are a lot more signs of them break all breaking against Republicans than all breaking against Democrats, and that's that's really problematic. Yeah, and and I think you know you bring up Charlie Cook. I think looking at that overlap as well. I think right now, if you're looking at um, the overall states trending Democratic, I think that electoral college number is at 290. And, you know, the, the, you, that puts steel, you know, places like North Carolina on the map where there's an overlap of a Senate race. And so I think what we're going to yep. see over the next 35 days is certainly the, the national attention and the focus on the presidential, but we're going to see some moves by these campaigns to, 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 to figure out how they're affecting these down ballot races. Right, right. Let me circle back to the debate format just for a second. I, I think we talked about the presidential commission and we'll see what they think about mute buttons or whatever. But I'm, I'm curious what, if you guys could give any advice to Welker or Scully, you know, the next moderators, is there anything they can do that Wallace didn't do to try to bring some order to this? Yeah, you know, look, I think the, the position of a moderator is twofold. One, it's to actually moderate and run an effective debate. I think it's a big branding opportunity for these journalists as well. Mm -hmm. And if I'm Kristen Wilker or Steve Scully, highly, highly respected journalist, you know, of many decades in Washington, I would think about how to really get beyond this top level that we saw last night and get into conversations about very specific answers. I was personally surprised last night that there was very, very little on 
schools and the, the position that millions of American parents are in, Brian, you and I, steal you, this will be your future. In this month of September, we all have our kids in in either at home at school with us, trying to balance virtual, or they're in school and we're paranoid that, is that going to be sustainable? Are they going to be susceptible to the virus? And so I guess my advice to these moderators would be, can you, do you need to rehash what has already been said and what is in the news every day? Or can we actually have a conversation about these real issues that are affecting so many Americans at this time? And you're time? thinking of that in a personal way for some of them, sort of to position them for the next kind of evening news anchor. Is that, is that what you're? Well, I just, like I. A Lester Holt who well, I there's got a, hilariously told the commission to lose his phone number after the last. <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess it's just part of the story for the internal DC yeah, media type of um, crowds is how did you handle yourself? What, I mean, Chris Wallace, the first thing he said last night is I chose these topics. I chose the questions yep. I chose. So they have a huge opportunity that says something about their integrity and what's important mm -hmm. to them and their reflection of what they think is important to the American people. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I do think the one time that Wallace asked a very, very specific question trying to drive news, asking the president about his, um, how much personal and in federal income tax he paid in 2016 and 2017, I thought that was, a, it would have been effective with any other politician. The president was simply comfortable lying live on stage. And so it wasn't as, as effective as it could have been. And I very much agree with Stacey that I would have loved to see detailed questions about COVID response, plans for the future. What does a second Trump term look like? I mean, he keeps getting right. served that question on the silver platter in Fox News interviews, and he can't answer the question. That's something that the American people deserve to, to see and deserve to hear an answer on. Yeah, and it was a notable moment, I'll say on that, Steel. Great point, because it was a notable moment when Wallace asked the two of them to say, why should you be president or why shouldn't your Biden's? talked all about why Trump shouldn't be president, which is that, that that's the, the game. That's the election. referendum. Yeah. That's the right. right. So, um, yeah, th there is not a, there, there is not a strong, there was not a, a strong close on that answer from either yeah. of them. Before we take another break, I want to spend a minute on the VP debate, uh, next week and, and steel you've, you've been in that room, you've prepped a VP candidate. Um, I'm sure it's very different from, Romney Ryan, but but what does Pence do, or can he do anything next week to soften some of what Trump did last night? So one of the arguments that's popular with Trump's base is that Biden is a shell for, uh, because of his age, because he's out of step with the party, for more radical elements in the party, and those more radical elements are represented by Kamala Harris. You heard the president. That's, I think that was what his reference to Harris last night was about, right. was a nod to those, those arguments. I will personally be very curious, as someone who knows and likes the vice president, has worked with him in the past, how comfortable he is making those insinuations and attacks in the vice presidential debate. That's the sort of interesting thing to me. I mean, no one votes for the bottom of the ticket. Everything right. should be about the president and his record. The vice president is very, very good at doing the sort of half smile and tilt of the head and kind of brushing away the, the uh, problematic things that the president has said. So I don't think it'll be newsworthy in that regard. Uh, I do think it'll be somewhat interesting in terms of how 
the vice president is preparing himself for a potential 2024 run. If the, right. if this, uh, you know, he's got a fairly natural argument in 2024, if the ticket loses this time that he can unite the pro Trump and anti-Trump parts of the Republican party. And, you know, I don't know that it'll work, but I will be curious to see whether he starts kind of edging in that direction. Um, but that's, and, and Kamala Harris has not had a long extended sort of public spotlight like this. I mean, she's been in Senate hearings where she asks questions and all of that, but that's sure. not the same Primary thing base, as, as but... being on that stage with a terrific, I mean, I like all of them, but Susan Page is a terrific moderator and mm -hmm. I think it'll be a really interesting debate. Yeah, look, the, the vice president's job or vice presidential candidates has one job and that is to elect the president. And I think that Mike Pence has a far harder order going into Wednesday night than Kamala Harris. And what Kamala Harris is going to walk out and do is she's going to, I think she's going to prepare for the reality of this race. And that is that Trump and Pence are losing women by 21%. They won women without a college degree by 23 points in 16. That is now even hard to see how that turns around. And Kamala Harris's one job on Wednesday night is to send women to the polls. Right. That's it. Right. And I think she's a very effective messenger. If you watched her last night after the debate, she is extremely disciplined. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's going to take no debate, no bait. I, I don't think either of them are going to, I don't expect to see a, no, I a expect talk back much and more forth between the two of them. I don't right? think they're going to talk to each other. I think they're going to talk to their base that they need to go. We are going to be one week closer to what we, talk about GOTV, getting people out to vote. Right. More people will have the opportunity to vote a week from now. More states are opening up their early voting a week from now. And I think you're going to see Pence do a much more effective job than the president is capable of in driving I think his base to the polls. COVID, right? Yes. I, I expect Pence to so lay out better. a very friendly administration story on the response to COVID the plan going forward, which Trump just can't seem to do. But for whatever reason, he's, he's sort of handed that off to Pence. And I don't think they've done a good job, but I think Pence can talk about it in a good way Here, that I'll be watching for next here's week. Here's something that I really, I think it's been a big misstep and I really don't understand about the, the, the Trump campaign. And that is this position that they've put themselves in where they're clearly trying to disincentivize voting. They're, they're, their most likely path to victory is that there's chaos at the polls and people don't actually go vote. They have discredited early voting. They would benefit if Republicans early vote. They don't benefit the longer people mm -hmm. wait to vote. So they've really put themselves in this weird box that I think is actually, as we look back on this and, and they lose this election, we're going to look back that that was a real serious strategic misstep. I, I, the only thing I would quibble with that there is the pronouns. It is not they, it is he. The yeah. campaign desperately wants to do all this stuff right, and they keep running into the president's blunt refusal uh, to look at the facts on this. That may be the case, but I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for the day after the election for the conversations that will happen in the Republican Party. I think we've been there, Brian. We've been there on our we side sure where have. you really look at, at each other. But at some point, I mean, all of this is at stake. And there's been, you've had four years to figure it out and you haven't figured out how to either work around or control and, and admittedly uncontrollable person. 
and now you may lose the Senate and the White House over it when it was yours to win. It's just that's a a pretty it's hard for me to see how people are going to jump on board and um, that that's a you know that that's a club that people want to join. Well, let's take one more break, um, and I want to come back. Let's do another quick segment. Uh, There's a lot still going on in Congress and other parts of the world that I want to get your take on. So you're listening to HPS Insights. We'll be right back. Every Friday, Hamilton Place Strategies founding partner Tony Fratto joins John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners for the HPS Macrocast, an in-depth look at the macroeconomic news driving the week. Check out the latest episode at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash podcast. We're back on HPS Insights. I'm joined by our partners, Stacey Kerr and Michael Steele. We're going to move on from that debate now, and you're both congressional veterans and experts, I want to ask, we've heard some rumors again about another short-term deal maybe coming together from Pelosi and Mnuchin. We are in the thick of the election. Is anything going to happen in Congress between now and Election Day? Steele, I can start with you. No, I don't think so. I, I think that this will be another in the long list of missed opportunities for this administration to reach out beyond its base work with Democrats and get something substantial done. I think that it started with his inauguration. I think that it's true on infrastructure. I think it's true on immigration. I think it's true on, you know, continued COVID relief. And I think that I really worry about the market reaction, the economic reaction, which I think has been a little over optimistic about the possibility of additional substantial uh, fiscal aid in this, uh, between now and the end of the year. I particularly given the low cost of borrowing right now. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Look, I'm a conservative Republican. I don't believe in spending government money as a general rule. But in this particular situation, uh, I actually think it makes a good deal of sense uh, given the suffering in the country right now. Uh, But I do not think it's going to come together. Yeah, I'm I'm a little, I I go a, a bit of a different direction. I actually still think that there's a path for a bill here this week you know, we will know this week. I don't, after this week, <laughs> time we is, may know before time, this time is up. Yeah. We may know before we even get this out to our listeners, but um, look, I think, I think Pelosi has actually played this really well. I think she knew exactly sort of what would happen. I think she gave, um, I think she gave her, her liberal Democrats something to vote on and something to go home and talk about. And I think that she then um, opened up the path for these problem solvers to come forward and bring this, you know, we're still talking about a trillion dollars up and a trillion dollars down. If they pass a bill that's at, at about $2 trillion, I think that would be a, 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 real, um, a real victory for um, how she has negotiated this. And I think both sides still have the incentive to get it done. I think it would benefit their candidates back home to be talking about um, the, in, in the districts that matter to be talking about this. And, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, I think our, our next opportunity, I guess two things, our next opportunity would, is highly unlikely to come in a lame duck. So it would be after the first of the year in February. And the thing that we, I think we also have to remember is that the first, the first round worked. It did an excellent job at stimulating the economy. And I, 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 I still think they, there is a last minute incentive to do that because it will, it will help stabilize the economy. Yeah, I would add three points on that. I think one, not only worked, but the PPP is the first thing that has raised the approval rating of Congress 
in living memory. Yeah. It actually went up <laughs> as long as I've been the first alive, time. Yeah. Um, second, I, I just think that the president remains relentlessly focused on his base, and they don't want to have to go home and say they voted for a uh, trillion dollars worth of Nancy Pelosi's priorities. Um, and that's what the line will be from Fox and the Wall Street Journal, et cetera. And the third thing is I actually disagree about the lame duck. I think that there will be a great deal of incentive to do a medium-sized emergency relief package after the election because without of the, the election presses without right. the is that regardless who wins steel yeah yeah because because of the timing issue that stacy mentioned it just it we will go too long without relief if mm-hmm. we wait for uh the inauguration wait for action in q1 of next year so i think there will be i think there will be a lot of incentive and a lot of momentum for a medium-sized um relief package after the election right well let me stop there um but for those listeners enjoying this, we're going to have Stacey and Steele back at least a couple of times following uh, the upcoming debates, should they happen. Uh, <laughs> and we'll be doing more on the elections uh, on HPS Insights. And you can visit HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com for more content from our management team and our folks at HPS on the election and other issues. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, and as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight and visit us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.